There is reason for comfort and joy, right? Why? Here's why. Because Christ was born to save. That's what we've been saying this morning. We've been singing about it too. We've heard it from the choir, the congregation. You've sung it. Covenant children, brothers and sisters of Christ, profess it out loud. That's the message. Christ was born to save. And that should be an echo from last night if you were here. When we took another step forward in our study of Psalm 132. And I would invite you to return there with me. Psalm 132. Going to look at concluding what has become a four-part series within this one psalm. This is one of the pilgrim songs, songs of ascents, right? Meaning that they would have been sung by pilgrims in the faith who went before us. They would have been on their way physically up to Mount Zion and spiritually looking forward to a time of worship, one of the three Jewish festivals. In fact, it was a pilgrimage. And if you have been following along in this series, you shouldn't be too surprised to find at this point uh, yet another reference to the pilgrim's presence, specifically as it speaks to us about the presence of God. As you see summarized in your bulletins, if you have one, you've uh, probably either grown weary or expectant of the play on words that we have before us, this talk of presence, gifts, God's presence. Why? We're doing this in order to communicate the excitement, really, that surrounds his presence, this presence God's presence with us. We've talked about wanting presence, right? Talked about returning presence. How timely is that? And last night we looked at promising presence. And that all leads us up to verses 13 through 18 on this Christmas morning. What do the Pilgrim song now have to say here in this latest song of ascents? Comes to an end. Well, let's listen in as they sing, picking up in verse 13. This is God's word. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling. This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor will I satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints will ever sing for joy. Here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but the crown on his head will be resplendent. Let's pray together. Father, your word is truth, and it speaks to us of eternal things, including eternal life, life with you. And on this day, Lord, this Christmas day, we would ask of you to work in us by your spirit a greater understanding and a deeper joy in who you are and in what you have given us in the person, in the presence of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. For the first time ever, uh, Robin's family is coming here for Christmas to Kennewick from Pittsburgh. In fact, they are scheduled to arrive today to be with us. 
And that means, uh, among other nice things, uh, that this year we did not need to send presents to them. Uh, they can open their gifts when they get here. And so you figure, you, you run the numbers on this, by the time you calculate the courier cost, take your pick, uh, time you save in packing in that foam popcorn, newspapers, whatnot, by the time you spend, well, who knows how long standing in line at the courier, by then, we figure that by them coming to us, we have saved about $4,700 <laughs> in postage alone. <clears throat> it is true, though. In, just kidding, by the way, um, about the money part. Um, the process of sending presents um, is costly. And it does involve time, sometimes waiting. But you know, always in this process, I hope you'll agree, when all is said and done, it's worth it. You know why? Because in the process, loved ones receive a gift. I see where you're going with this. Do you? You anticipated presence. In the closing verses of Psalm 132, the pilgrims are effectively singing about this very thing, about the sending of presents. And not just any presence, God's presence, his gift, as sent to a particular place, to a particular people, and ultimately as sent in a particular person. That, that's our brief outline for this morning. Once again, we recognize our need to open up, to open up to the Lord, especially when we see what he does offer us in his own dear presence, as we sang last night. Great is thy faithfulness, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Right? That's what we've been looking at. If you wanted to follow along, this latest talk of presence can be seen summarized in point four in your bulletins. We've already been through the first three. And here we find God's presence, first of all, is sent to a very particular place. So look with me again at verses 13 and 14. And remember, this is spoken just after what we heard last night, this word of the Lord's promise. Now we hear this word of assurance. Verse 13. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling. This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. Tidings of comfort and joy. How's that for a word of comfort? Right there. I mean, look, look at the response. This is a re David, he had his own desire. He had a request earlier. We heard about that in this song. He wanted the Lord's presence. He wanted him to establish his dwelling place there in Jerusalem among God's people where David was, where the people were. That's what he wanted. He's very clear about that in his prayer. And then we saw it in the pro procession of the ark as it came into Jerusalem at a very exciting time in Israel's history. And now here, David is told what? The Lord has chosen Zion. He wanted it. He's told. This is very assuring. Zion is his dwelling. Not a, and notice he's not only told where, that's part of what we're looking at, but he's told why. He's told why this place is so privileged. Do you see why? It's right there. It's really stated twice, once in each verse. Zion would be the place because... That's what the Lord wanted. Zion is his desire, his choice. Those are the words used. Verse 13, again, for the Lord has chosen Zion. 
he has desired it for his dwelling. And then verse 14, I have desired it. Okay, That is what the Lord wants. We know what David wants. Now we know what the Lord wants. I know. <laughs> you know, we look at uh, words like choice in the Bible, and some people, I mean, you can get kind of worked up about that. For the Lord has chosen Zion, and questions come into our mind like, well, uh, that's not fair. That's a statement. The questions would be, uh, why doesn't God choose every place? Why doesn't God choose every one? See that? Well, God's choosing. It perplexes people. And here Zion is singled out. The short answer, I suppose, to questions like that, this may sound glib, but I don't want it to be. Why didn't God choose every place and everyone? Well, evidently, because he didn't want to. But he did want to choose Zion. And so he did. And as mentioned last night, there was an earthly angle to that statement. David did have an actual throne in Jerusalem, in Zion. We can discuss the merits of the choice angle, but you cannot argue that it's said. And this was quite meaningful, that Zion was chosen as the dwelling place. And in view of the presence being sent in this passage, what we know is that the place is not limited to a chunk of earth. It's, in other words, Zion involves more than a hilltop on planet earth. We've been over this. Uh, ultimately, it is a picture of an eternal place. That's heaven, heaven itself, glory, the final destination of all God's pilgrims. Whether they walked the road of faith then, 3,000 years ago, right? Up to this day, as we've been seeing throughout this pilgrim series, right? All of God's people will enjoy his presence. Where? In the eternal home. The place where he dwells, where he sits enthroned. Now, today is Christmas Day. That's no surprise. And so rightly, we rejoice in the truth that the king came to his people to save. He came in the flesh. He came as promised. And also as promised, he will come again in the flesh from his throne in heaven to this place, the earth, when he returns to judge the living and the dead, and when he comes to make all things new. We look forward to that. That is when the kingdom of the world has become, as John writes in the Revelation, as Handel puts to music in his Messiah, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's the throne, that's the presence that we need to embrace. By faith, we find our resting place when we do that. We find our resting place. Resting in Christ, dwelling with him, even now. This is a day of rest. Are you resting in him today? It's what we do on a day of rest. Not just cease from labors. We rest in Christ and his labor, what he did for us. This is a day when we remember the sending of the Christmas 
presence. God offers us his presence. And he's faithful to send it to a particular place. And that place may be your soul, your life. And when that arrives, certain things necessarily follow. Like what? This is what follows. You can look with me. Blessing. Blessing. That will be sent upon a very particular people. And of course, the particular people is closely related to point one, the people and the place. So look with me at the effect of this presence, what it has on the people of Zion. Verses 15 and 16 now. The Lord says, I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor will I satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation and her saints will ever sing for joy. That sounds good. Blessings are both physical and spiritual. You see that? They're for the people. Blessings for the poor, verse 15. Blessings for the priests, verse 16. Joy for the people. And, and of course, uh, if you've been following this, verse 16 is doing what? It's a very direct answer to what we heard back in verse 9, if you wanted to glance back there. Does this sound at all familiar? May your priests be clothed with righteousness. May your saints sing for joy. To which the Lord says, fast forward, verse 15, I will. I will. Priests and people, verse 16, and her saints will ever sing for joy. This is what happens when salvation comes. There it is. Or to use the word from verse 9, when the gift being sent is righteousness. We talked about this last night. Righteousness from God to a blessed people. You can, you can practically picture uh, an address card to stay with the metaphor today. Uh, packages, sending gifts. Uh, you pick up a label at the post office or UPS, wherever you went. You want to ship your gifts to your special friends and family. A gift being sent. You say, well, who's it from? Well, you look up in the corner. It's from me. Well, no, in this case, the gift is from God. And to whom is it being addressed? Where is it going? Well, to the place, got the address there, Zion, right? Upon this people, his people, the people of his choosing. Those people, those sinners. They're in need of a gift, and they know they are. The gift of righteousness, the right to stand in the presence of a holy God as holy. There's a gift you need to receive. Have you received that gift? The righteousness of God given to you. You will not have a, a Merry Christmas without that. Your name needs to be on the label, the address card, so to speak. Or to put it this way, we can ask it, was Jesus, the Lord Jesus, was he sent for you? Have you opened up your heart to him? Have you confessed your sin? Have you confessed your need for him to clean you up, to clothe you, clothe you with salvation? Verse 16, with his righteousness, right? Perfection, obedience. We talked about this last night. You need his righteousness, the, the righteousness that he earned for his people at the cross, you can say to yourself, well, haven't we been over this a lot, uh, like maybe every Sunday in some form? Certainly last night, yes, but 
if, if you've somehow missed that mailing in, in this psalm, if you missed it earlier, I'm going to say it again. You need to open up to this truth. Not says me. Says God. This is the one gift that is needful. Some of you have already opened your gifts today. Honestly, anything that you are about to did you need any of it? And you say, well, I'm an American, so I get no, but the only needful gift, and it is being offered today, is the Savior. It's the only needful gift. It's the only needful gift you will ever open. This is the one you can actually say that you need. The iPod was nice. The new printer was a plus. Needful? No. Savior? Yes. And there's only one available. There's only one able to save. It's not the government. It's not your goodness. It's not anything done by you or me. We've been over this. <laughs> but the good news is worth repeating. Hear it again. God sent his Savior, his chosen one, into the world. In the fullness of time, God sent his son to redeem those under law. We've been over that. We also pointed out earlier this process of sending presents is costly. You believe that? It also involves time, sometimes waiting. But always, again, if you bought into the premise, but always when all is said and done, it's worth it, right? Why? Because in the process, you remember why it's worth it? In the process, Loved ones receive a gift. Yes, you stood in line. Yes, you put down fourteen ninety-five. But on the other end, a loved one received a gift. And in Psalm one thirty-two, the gift would be sent to a particular place, Zion, upon a particular people, God's chosen, and ultimately in a particular person, in a particular. Person. And that's how the song ends, with a word about Messiah. Look at me at what is revealed in verses 17 and 18. Here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but the crown on his head will be resplendent. If you were here last night, you said, well, that sounds a lot like last night. Really, doesn't it? Concerning the promise, verses 11 and 12, promise of God's prayer. Well, there's a reason for that. And if it sounds a lot like God is answering the prayers of verses 1 and 10, there, well, there's a reason for that too. Because when the concern of the throne of David, you know, how much of a theologian do you need to be when you see mention the throne of David, where ought your brain and your spirit leap. The covenant made with him is always placing in view Messiah, his greater son. Again, we went over that last night. The person of God's Messiah. The specific references made here in the closing verses bring that into a clear view if it wasn't clear already. In fact, this exciting picture of fulfillment... I, it, it, it's heightening uh, up until this very end of the psalm. 
It's a very grand portrait of a person. It's personal. Uh, even the early rabbis uh, assigned uh, it to the day when Messiah would come. They look at this psalm and they say, yes, he will come to rule. The promise of Messiah would rescue, right? Even the rabbis saw this. He would be the anointed one of God. They got that. Again, anointed means Messiah in the Hebrew, right? Anointed. We have it right here, Messiah. In, in the Greek, it's Christ, right? That is whom they awaited, did the rabbis. They longed for a savior. And sadly, as you probably know, the Jews are convinced that they are still waiting for Messiah. Because they failed to see Christ as Messiah. And yet, what do we hear in the scriptures? Page after page, psalm after psalm, prophecy after prophecy, promise after promise from Genesis to the Revelation. It's all pointing straight to him, to Christ. Very specifically, even in the psalm, we've got from the line of David to the town of David, where he was born, to the throne of David. How can any Old Testament reader miss that? The line of David, town of David, throne of David. It's practically a gospel outline. And Jesus fulfilled all those. Not to mention all the other promises and prophecies. He will reign forever and ever. He's reigning right now. Merry Christmas. And then even the images used in these last two verses, they're highlighting the truth. The psalmist speaks of a horn growing from David. See that? That sort of sounds like the prophecy of the shoot that grows from the same line, the same family. Uh, the picture of the horn, though, is probably uh, focusing more on the, the strength of David's house. And then there's this picture of a lamp. Verse 17 is being set up for the Lord's anointed. He would send light into the world and by him through this person. Uh, and I, I want to underscore this. This last point today, what's the deal with the person? You say, I know the baby's born. It's Christmas Day. You have to say that. Well, it, it's a person. Don't miss that. Even in this psalm, it's, a, it's personal. This isn't a philosophy. This isn't a concept. It's not a religion in a vague sense of the word. It, it's a person through him. Darkness would be turned into light. And then we have this obvious image, uh, the crown. What do we hear there? Well, righteous judgments. The king will rule. Make ju- his enemies will be shamed, verse 18. And we hear of the resplendence of this crown. His glory shines. And when the time had fully come, the apostle assures us, God sent his son. That's what we've been celebrating. That's what we've been celebrating this month, in this psalm, and on this very day, Christmas. And since the cost of sending this presence was costly, we remember that as well. And we remember with gladness, with joy, and with comfort that it was covered completely by the Lord himself. His death, his burial, his resurrection paid the price. It sets us free, free as his loved ones 
recipients of this gift, sets us free to receive it. And it sends us, as those who have been opened up to him, it sends us out with joy. With hearts, with hands, with voices, we proclaim that this is good news. And we say to ourselves, not just in passing to people along the way this day, but we say it from within. Merry Christmas. Before we close today uh, by singing this psalm, this will be our final Christmas song for now. We're going to open up ourselves to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, on this day, this day of rest, this day of rejoicing in the Christ, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you sent a Savior at all and then specifically sent him to sinners like us. Lord, we need this gift. We need your grace to receive it because without you giving us the eyes to see it, without the eyes of faith, we won't trust you. We'll trust ourselves or some other so-called Savior who can't save, not from sin, not from shame, certainly not forever. And so, Lord, move us all from the inside out to embrace the salvation that you offer in the Savior that you sent, whose name is Jesus, and in whose name we pray. Amen. The singing of Psalm 1.